Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, James Sykes, CEO and President of Baseload Energy here. Baseload Energy is a uranium exploration company focused on a new style of exploration strategies within the Athabasca Basin, home to the highest grade uranium jurisdiction in the entire world. And we're very pleased to report that we have intersected a new uranium discovery within our Athabasca 2.0 model, and we are hoping to build that into the, in the future. James, good to see you, mate. Uh, we should have seen each other last week, so apologies, that was our fault, not yours. Um, I saw the press release, was keen to understand a little bit more about it. You talk about a new style of exploration, right? We've talked in the past about your thesis versus some some of the well-established Athabasca theses. So let, let's go straight to this press release. What, what, what did it tell us? I'm hoping it told the world that we're onto a new uranium discovery. So we don't have assay results back. And this is why it might be confusing for some people to, uh, to understand what we actually released in that. Because we released radioactivity results in the form of CPS, so counts per second. Now- What's that mean? What's, Explain to people what that means. There's a bunch of generalists coming into this thing. To do that, just yeah. don't quite get the so, terminology. So radioactivity comes from three main minerals, three main elements, uranium, thorium, and potassium. Now, usually you can't tell if it depends on the tool that you have, it'll just tell you the amount of radiation that you're, that you're receiving back, but it can't distinguish the different elements. We do have a tool on site that can do that. And it has said that all of our radioactivity is basically coming from uranium. However, that is still not assay equivalent. That's not lab equivalent. You still need to get this into the lab and verify that what we are seeing. I was just at site. I was just at site on the weekend. I saw the core. To me, that's uranium. It's not potassium, that's for sure. So that's counted out. It doesn't look like thorium. So I would count that out. I would trust what our assays have, where our, our machine has told us, and just wait for those assay results. But that's that's all we can do at this stage is just describe the amount of radioactive materials that we have there. But it's unusual. So it's, you, it's unusual, right? You say a new way of exploring, and you've just done something quite unusual in that you could have waited for assay results to come back. So why, why didn't you? To get the pump on the market, because we had our the neighboring company to the north of us, they had just released, they had two news releases, one being that they intersected elevated CPS, so radioactivity, and then they had the, the assay results come back two weeks later, which basically provided a nice conversion from CPS into U308. Now, it's never a one-to-one and that's why it is risky. And we put uh, we put our forward-looking statements out there and our warning that you can't trust CPS results to be completely accurate. That's within our news release. We're very open about that. So what we wanted to do was provide a comparison. But this also goes back to a number of companies. Hathor Exploration was really big on this when, when they made the Rough Rider discovery and continuing forward. We always put out news release with CPS, especially in the early days, just to get people excited especially when you come out with terms like off-scale radioactivity, that means your tool cannot measure the amount of radioactivity that you're coming from. And so if, if that's uranium, oh, that's a huge intersection. So that's how all of this has come out. Fission has done it. Uh, geez, a lot of companies have, have done this, but we felt the timing was right now with, with the 92E discovery to the north of us, with the market the way it is, and with the just the whole run of everything, we couldn't sit back and just wait for the assay results to come out. So... Yeah, we want, to, we want to get people excited about this, just as we're excited. So, so when you say the, the market the way it is, um, I think we all know what you're talking about, but shall we have a chat? 
Because you, you guys have been a, the beneficiary of, of this for sure, as a lot of companies have. But, you know, it, it's the Sprott Fiscal Uranium Trust has sort of torn the market up, uh, reset expectations with retail investors and, and institutionals, uh, institutions as well, like, I, I guess. Uranium equities have reset, but on the on the announcement of of your news, you went off again on an, another little tear. Um, what what's your expectations of how you're going to need to manage your stories in your narrative in the marketplace? Given your your kind of early days, and we'll, and we'll talk about some of the things which have gone on previously and where you're at with with, with that in in a second. But you've you don't want to be one of those headline grabbing companies, do you? No, right, not so, at all. So never have been. Never have been. Right. So, so uh, how many holes are we talking about in the press release? How many holes were, were did you drill? One. <laughs> right. One hole. One. Does hole. that make a discovery in your eyes? Depending. Oh, what we saw there. Yes, in my eyes, because I can take that back to Rough Rider. I can take that core back, throw it into the Rough Rider system, and nobody would ever see the difference. It fits right in there. So in, in our eyes, this is huge. And especially when you had 450 meters away, the 92E drill hole intersects uranium mineralization. That is comparable to a drill hole that was drilled in 1980 that led to a Griffin discovery. You know, comparable U308 results in width. This has the makings of something big. So it is very exciting. When, we, when I was at, at uh, NextGen, we were drilling, we were drilling Arrow. Uh, we were told that stepping out more than 25 meters on for step out drills was absolutely crazy because like, you, you can miss so easily. But we're talking about two drill holes that intersect between 450 meters apart. That's that to me speaks of a very large and robust system. So, and like so, I said, with so who, who drilled that hole? Was that you guys or was that old data? Which, sorry, the, the, which the, hole 92E? Yeah. 92E, they just drilled that in August and released the news in September. And we followed up on their news. We got to dig in into a little bit more of the, um, the historic uh, geophysical surveys in the area. And we had found where that conductor that they had drilled comes right onto our project. So we took the time, looked at, looked at everything, put it all together, put our drill hole where we thought it'd be perspective. Lo and behold, it is. Okay, right. So you've raised a little bit of money, three point nine million in September. Um, We've raised seven point six, to be very honest. Oh, with, that was the second tranche. Seven point six between August and September. So we are fully cashed up. We have about eleven million in the bank, and we've got uh, quite a bit in flow through. Nine point three, I do believe, in flow through, which means we're looking at a very active twenty twenty two. Right, brilliant. Thank, thanks for clarifying on that one. Um, so what are you going to do? Very active because you, you gotta, you gotta make sure people are comfortable with your assumptions about a discovery here off the back of one hole. You may feel confident. You've got the experience. You've got the track record, but for the market, they're going to want a bit more than that. So what are you going to do? Right now, the drill's still at site. We did take a little bit of time off after this intersection to bring in all of the necessary equipment. Uh, so we've got a separator system up there. We've got drums and, and for cuttings. Because when you come across radioactive materials, you don't want that getting onto the surface. You want to make sure that that's all contained for environmental and other and, and other reasons. So we took the time. We brought all that to site. The drill's still on there, but we're running into a very uh, very small window of time remaining. That daylight hours are losing. Uh, sorry, yeah, we're losing daylight hours. The weather's getting colder. So it just creates more problems. But our intention now, as we do have the drill there, is to continue drilling 
and create a cross-section of the area around the mineralization, which will help guide us into, into a uh, winter drill program. And then that's the next step. Uh, we figure out how many drill holes we're gonna need. Well, with the remaining holes that we have, we wanna see what results we get out of those and then plan for winter drilling. How can we target the best areas as quick as possible? Because we are looking at something that's very shallow, we can potentially get to a resource estimate right off the bat, depending on a number of drill holes, number of meters required. Uh, I've got in my head that we wanna pump in 10,000 meters in the winter alone, and we're budgeted to do so. So that's that's our next big step forward and just keep keep pounding away, pounding away. With one drill? No, 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 two drills. Two drills. We'll, we'll, bring in, we'll bring in an extra drill. If we need to bring in three drills, we'll bring in three drills and we'll, we'll hit her pretty hard, hard and fast. Okay, that's fantastic. Okay, and so 10,000 meters winter program. So how long does that last actually? So what's the winter program? Depends. It really depends on a lot of factors. Uh, if we get up there in January, we'd try to push to March. Uh, to be very honest, the last couple of winters, we've seen early, um, early melts, early winter melts. By March 15th, people are getting out when, you know, five years ago, I was up in the field until April 15th. So we're losing a month potentially. Thank you, global warming. But as a geologist, most geologists I speak to say there's no global warming. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not real. See, I used to say that too. And I still say it's pollution. Pollution is our biggest enemy. It's not really global warming because global warming is a natural phenomenon. It's, we're coming out of a glacial period. So the world is naturally going to get warmer, but pollution has affected our, our climate. And you know, based on some of the recent rulings that this is a, uh, it's been classified as human induced climate change. So we'll roll with it, but it's in my eyes is still pollution. But anyway, we've got contingencies and we've got other ideas in place, which is why it's gonna take us probably the next two months to really figure out how we're gonna do this. If we go ground-based, we could be limited to mid-March. If we go airborne again, which to be honest is my preferred method, uh, just because we we really, we, we don't have a footprint. When you go airborne, your footprint is so small. And that's what I'm trying to achieve with this company is have the smallest footprint possible. But if we go airborne, we can do that. And we can, we can get out there by mid-February, but we can drill throughout the, throughout the thaw because we wouldn't be moving on the ground. Everything's lifted up and put on place and you don't clear anything off the ground. So it's, it's a very effective approach to exploration. And that's, that could bring us into mid-April, May. So we could possibly get more time out of that. So that's just decisions we have to make with our technical team beforehand. Okay. You know what I'm going to ask next, right? So lessons of the I past. Know. I never Less, know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try and keep it that way. Lessons of the past learned, okay? So you're very excited. You believe you've got a discovery here and you've got the budget to go out and, and prove that you know, conventionally for the market, which is good news. But Indigenous, First Nations, I know I, I saw something about a, 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 an Indigenous scholarship, et cetera. You've got to move at the right pace for, the, for those First Nations groups, right? So... How is this different from last time out? What, how are you managing it? To be honest, we've kind of managed it the same way we did last time. We have been very early on with our negotiate, with our consultation with the, with the Indigenous groups. And for this project, we're dealing with two different Indigenous groups and the communications have been going well. We continue communications, have updated them about the discoveries, have updated them about all of our progress the entire way. We had one group come back to us even before we set out drilling. Even before we set out drilling, they said, you know, we really like your approach. 
that you guys are proactive. You've come to us beforehand. You've talked to us. You've told us what you want to do. You're looking for feedback. You're looking for guidance. And that's what we've been doing. We've been doing that since day one as baseload. And we will continue that approach. And we work very closely with the Indigenous. It's, you know, we know what the situation is like. And like you said, yeah, earlier in the year, we did have some, uh, we had some blowback to the approach. But we're still, we've tweaked a little bit. We've, you know, our commitment stays the same, that to move exploration forward or, or any type of, uh, of discovery, anything to move forward is, will bring the Indigenous along. It's not just about uh, it's not just about economic potential there, which is huge though, and we have contributed quite a bit in the economic sense to to indigenous uh, parties up there. But it's it, it's more about you know what are the long term lasting effects, and this is where our next step is to bring them in and say, okay, well here's our drill strategy, here's what we've discovered, here's our drill strategy. How do we mitigate this? How do we minimize this so that everybody's happy? So that the future of the area is not, you know, it's not, um, I'm not going to say corrupted because that's a bad word. It's not affected. You know, there's no negative long-term impacts left. Something that they, we clear a little bit of trees and that's it. But that's where we are now. So now we, we up our game and we, we, you know, we hit a lot more of uh, consultation and just try to get more meetings and really try to flesh things out with the indigenous involved to move this all forward. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So you, you tweaked things a little bit, but it, it, it's more of the same. You know, We've been very an open, honest since day one with everybody that we talk to. No, I get, I get, I get that. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's not necessarily anyone's fault per se, but there, there's a kind of, there's a misstep, which has a knock on effect, et cetera. But, but, but here in terms of involving them, um, how, how, how is, is that costing you time? Is it costing you money? Is it something that you'd rather not be doing? Or is it just, you know, yeah, it's fundamental to moving forward? This is what we've always done. This is how I've, I've always approached this this way. It doesn't matter what company I've worked for. We've, I've always been in there. You can go to two communities within Northern Saskatchewan, and I've been the only junior exploration guy they've ever talked to face-to-face. And that's just how I've rolled. And that's before baseload. But I've so brought that forward. It's, you know, you can say it's something that has to be done. You can say it's costly. You can say it's it, in both in time and cash. That's not the point of it. The point of it is to get out there and do it right. Because they, the indigenous communities within the areas are going to be your partners. So why have a silent partner? You know, why mow over anybody? This is exactly how we set out to do things. I'm very happy with the way we've done things, and we will continue to do it that way. Okay, let's let's, let's go over a little bit about Ogran, which is to do with your with your strategy, the way the way that you're different, right, um, from the Athabasca Basin place. You're sitting just slightly outside. I mean, just again, remind us of your hypothesis there. I, I'm not trying to say you need to put anyone down. I'm just, I'm just going to say you, you you always said we're different. We've got a different view of things. Just explain to me why it's different and therefore why it's presumably better in your mind. If you look at the Athabasca, the history of the Athabasca, there are a number of unconformity deposit discoveries. Now, what that unconformity is, it's that contact between your basement rocks, which are basically, let's consider them granites, very hard rock. You know, you step on them, you know what you're in. And then on top of that was deposited sands, 
And then those sands all stuck together, but uh, they have porosity and sandstone and water porosity within there. Now, ooh, so when I say that you've got a lot of deposits that have been discovered at that, at that point, some of those are at depth, but it still proves that that unconformity is the is the preeminent place that you want to make a discovery. Yeah, there's a lot of basement hosted discoveries out there and they're absolutely great, which is what we're originally after. However, with the idea that the basin was a lot larger, and if you change the idea of how to interpret the unconformity outside of its current day extent, a lot of people think that it just, it continues on a slope like that, which, you know, the further away you get from the, from the basin edge, the less chance you will have at unconformity or even basement host mineralization. However, taking modern day analogs from the Turin Basin in the Himalayas, and you look at what they have, they've got a nice little sub-basin like this, but then outside of that, everything's flat into a larger basin. Now that's what I believe the Athabasca was. So that glaciers came along, they removed all of this top basin. Now we're left, left with this little bowl, but everything on top, this now increases the amount of unconformity potential. So even as you step outside of the Athabasca Basin, if everything was flat, you could have little pockets of sandstone all along this, but they're just cut, they're just covered with glacial overburden, which presents a problem for us in Northern Saskatchewan. So we've stepped out aside of the comfort boundary. We came up with a new idea, uh, new theories on how the basin was and trying to really uh, advance that idea, advance that thinking and hopefully prove ourselves right, which I think we're starting to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, like I say, you need to do a bunch more drilling and you need to, you know, firm up the hook uh, discovery, right? Um, and maybe you need to find a few, a few more, make a few more discoveries uh, along the way. We've got three projects. Yeah. Three more discoveries ready. Right. Okay. Well, like I say, when, when, as and when they come through, that, that they'll, they'll be a great conversation to have. It, What's your thoughts in terms of the hypothesis around, is this going to be cheaper, more economic uh, type uranium? Because you know, you're not drilling, it's shallow, you're not drilling so deep. So the economics should change. And does that, you th do you think that'll change um, the kind of environmental um, component to these stories, which I think the Athabasca generally you know, suffers a little bit from. The permits take a little bit longer uh, as, as a result, people are people are concerned about water tables and you know what what, what happens there. So, what's, what's, again, what's your thesis on about about what you're going after? What we are going after is the idea that a deposit near surface with our Athabasca 2.0 would be economic, would be more environmentally friendly. Uh, depends on the situation. Look at Key Lake. Key Lake's one of my favorite favorite deposits out there. Footprint is small, even though it was an open pit, 200 million pounds came out of that. Footprint is small compared to other energy sources within the world. Obviously, you're never going to be smaller with an open pit than you are an underground mine. That's just the reality of the situation. But Athabasca has that problems of, of going deeper into underground with without having uh, technical problems. Remove all that. The idea is that, yes, you can make things far more economic. Uh, we talked about it last week, how... Athabasca has you know, some of the lowest costs out there in any operating jurisdictions. You get these, you get these wonderful grade deposits out here that are greater than 1%. You get some beautiful tonnages, you know, even something 30, 40 million pounds. That's a huge resource. If you have that within hundred meters of surface, the potential for an open pit there is quite mammoth. That's, and that's what can move forward. That's the key lake. 
that's the rabbit lake. All of these early producers within the Athabasca Basin, the first guys to go were these open pit mines. I still believe that MacArthur would never have gone forward without Key Lake. Key Lake being an unconformity deposit right there, open pitable, boom, done, set up the mill. That was the operation. If MacArthur would have been first, you would have had to build the mill, get down underground. I think it would have been a little bit more, uh, more troublesome. But that's where this 2.0 approach really, uh, really moves things forward, especially being so close to infrastructure. Uh, we're, we're hoping that we end up like a, a Key Lake situation with the mill, though, already, already there in place. Uh, as far as environmental goes, again, it's an open pit. Uh, the idea is an open pit. Obviously, we don't know what, what's going down there. We don't even know if this will ever turn into a mineable situation. More drilling will take us uh, more drilling, more time to, to get us to that situation, but hopefully we do it quickly. Uh, from the exploration standpoint, drilling at these depths means that we don't, uh, we can advance things also at a quicker pace too, that we're not going down a thousand meters. We're not going down 500, 600 meters. Everything's right there. So we can get more drill holes in per dollar. We can make more intersections. We can grow this at a quicker pace, get to that resources quick, and then and then start. What depths uh, are we talking about? Sorry, just understand what, what depths are you talking about? From where we are from surface, we're at about 110 to 130 meters from surface, which is pretty darn shallow. Wow. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So in terms of the second wave of drilling, you're going to be doing, I guess, lots of drilling if, if, if that's all you've got to go down. Um, so how many holes are we talking about? What, what, what are your thinking, thoughts in terms of step outs and so forth? Good question. Kind of, we're kind of looking at a two-pronged approach. One where we have to continue exploration, obviously, but I guess a lot of it really depends on completing this drill program, that we have to get this cross-section done. We have to understand what the mineralization controls are, what are the structures, where's, you know, how big is this alteration envelope? And once we have that firmed out, then we can come up with a better plan. But right now, what I'm initially thinking of is that we do a two-prong approach. We have drills that go slightly deeper around that five, 400 to 500 meter mark on angles. So we get our oriented core, we understand the geology better, but if we have an understanding of where mineralization is concentrated, then we can just start popping in uh, 90 degree drill holes, hit those fast, just hit the mineralization to really pump out a resource and then combine the two later to see where, where we might see deeper uh, chances for deeper mineralization. Because we've always been about trying to find mineralization as shallow as possible. And uh, the fact that we now have sandstone as well, that adds that adds the potential for unconformity mineralization within uh, what we think could be within 50 meters of the surface. So that just makes everything that much more shallow. So if everything's quicker. You talked about putting out a res resource. I mean, again, what, what does, is, it, is, is it relevant, the size of the resource? It's just the point, hey, we'll put out a resource, stake in the sand, and we'll keep updating that resource uh, as we do more drilling. But I need to get a message into the market that there is a resource here and we'll work towards understanding some kind of economics around this thing. I mean, you talked about 1% there, but... What's the reality of that region? Is there any other data that you can use and extrapolate from which tells you anything? No. It's all new Fortunately stuff. Fortunately not. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of new. So when's this assay result come back then? Hopefully within two to four weeks. Okay. That's exciting. Potentially. Absolutely. Okay. Very exciting. It's Like I said, I looked at the core. I love it. I've seen that type of mineralization before. So it can grow. I think, to be very honest, I think we were on the edge of something. And with that, that sandstone, we're going to track into it because we know 
So the 92E drill hole, which was 450 meters northwest of us, north-northwest, they did not have any sandstone cover. And so they went right through the overburden into basement rocks. We now have sandstone. So somewhere to the west of us, uh, the sandstone will thin out because of faulting. We're very confident about that. And when you have faults and sandstone thrown into the same mix and seeing some of the features that we've seen, some of the alteration styles and structural styles that we've seen in this drill hole, we're pretty confident that as we progress west, there could be unconformity mineralization. Uh, could is a very big term. Obviously, we don't know because we haven't drilled. But that's the idea is there and the idea is possible. So if you call this elevated radioactivity and it's off the scale, your words, not mine, off the scale, so the machinery can't quite measure it. It's going to indicate you that it's going to be a reasonable, your expectation is going to be very reasonable results coming back from the outside. And you've also seen it with your own eyes, your expectation. So there's no, there's no part of you that is concerned that when the assays come back that you miscalled this. No, I'll, I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised with the assay results. I think uh, I, do have an idea of what it would be like. And we did that comparison with, with 92 East drill hole that we have 16.2 meters of roughly the same radioactivity results. So I would imagine that our, our U308 results would be very comparable. However, we do have a little bit more higher, higher grade intersections. So I'm expecting those to come back as, as quite favorable results. Okay. Yeah. It, it, okay. it just, it just screams to the margins. Okay. Which means what? Why, why, why is it important that you said that? Because we're not in the guts. Okay. We're not in the guts. Exploration potential is, is phenomenal. It's outstanding. Okay. If we get these larger intersections, I will certainly be doing a happy dance for hours on end. <laughs> if, like we, if, we, if, we, if we put out a news release that says off-scale radioactivity with the synth that we use, that's just, yeah. I don't think I'll ever come down from an adrenaline high. You, you might need to because you got to do some work at that point. Hey, uh, like, James, let, let's leave it there because I'm, I'm a little bit excited about what you're going to come back over the next two to four weeks. Can you please call us? Call us first because I, I, I would be very happy for you if uh, if the assays tell you what you think you've got there. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a miserable, cautious so-and-so, but um, it would be, be a nice moment for you, I think, after... Uh, the year to date, um, despite the, the recent positivity. So, yeah, appreciate your time today, James. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on, okay? Thank you very much, Matt. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and, of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.